Welcome to the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm Melissa Friedenberg, financial advisor with Pearl Planning. Pearl Planning is a financial planning and investment management company located in Dexter and Gross Point, Michigan. We work with clients all around the country. The purpose of our podcast is to explore specific financial topics and provide advice you can use in your everyday life. Hello, everyone. It's Melissa Fradenberg here on another episode of 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom. And today I'm here with our guest, Laura Brownfield. She is general counsel at the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan. Laura's background is in estate planning and business planning. And in her role with the Community Foundation, she's Uh, very knowledgeable in the area of charitable giving. And that is our topic today. So welcome, Laura. Thank you for being here. Good afternoon, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be a guest of Pearl Planning. Oh, thank you. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And, you know, this topic has come up a lot now with the environment that we're in with COVID. A lot of people are asking us questions on estate planning and realizing really that they haven't planned for what could possibly happen. So I thought it was a timely topic to really talk about options. A lot of individuals and families in the quiet at home have realized that given health concerns, that perhaps it's time for them to review their estate plan, or if they do not have one in place, what does it mean? And how do I plan appropriately? And many of those individuals plan not only for individual beneficiaries, but for charity too. In fact, we had a recent case where an individual called and wanted to update her plan to provide for a contingent beneficiary, a charitable beneficiary, a fund through the community foundation in the event her individual beneficiaries named in her will and trust passed as a result of COVID and in light of of the public health crisis. So this climate in estate planning, along with the economic climate that you're well aware of, is really a good time to review our plans or get around to doing our estate plans given the current tax environment. What is one of the first things you would say to people when they're sitting down to think about that if they are either sitting on a large estate or maybe set up to inherit a large estate, how can they start planning now? One of the concerns individuals have is, um, how do I know the public charity um, or the cause that I'm interested in really is a legitimate charity and cause. And and we can help with that. So at the Community Foundation, and we've been around 35 years and have a presence, by the way, Melissa, in seven counties in Southeast Michigan. And our mission is to improve the lives of individuals and communities in that seven county region. The Community Foundation knows needs in our communities and areas. So if you had a client who's interested in domestic abuse, or the environment, which could include greenways or blueways, waterways. Um, If you have clients interested in the economy, we have a new economy initiative that helps small businesses and entrepreneurship. We have funds and individuals who know education, know youth sports. So there's a variety of causes. And at the Community Foundation, we have individuals who I connect our advisors like you or your clients with to help them determine what are their interests, what are their causes, and we do that vetting. So we determine whether the small nonprofit your client wants to support in Gross Point 
or in northern Michigan or outside of our state, because our donors give outside of our southeast Michigan region, is a legitimate public charity. And we at the Community Foundation are a public charity. And that ensures that any gift made to us receives the highest and most preferential tax treatment. So your client would receive a charitable income tax deduction. And it ensures, too, we are a 501c3 and we are in compliance with the regulations and laws that govern public charities, and we assist our donors, your clients, in determining whether charities they want to support, including the Community Foundation, are 501c3 public charities. I think that's interesting. And I'm noticing more, um, especially even in the younger generation, really wanting to give back to a cause. Like you mentioned a couple of them, but very specific things that they're interested in. So you're saying through the community foundation, if people have a very specific idea of what types of causes they want to help out, you have different groupings, if you will, that have been vetted. If you have a client who's interested in racial equity or social justice, I just had a woman call and say, I want to give, I want to give this year. I want to get a deduction this year. And I want to give to funds or nonprofits that support racial equity and social justice. So whether it's the individual or it's you, Melissa, making the call to me, I contact one of one of my colleagues in our program department who specializes in that area. And she will produce for me or he will produce for me a list of nonprofits, entities that are nonprofit organizations that promote those causes. So racial equity, social justice. And in that particular case, the woman who phoned me created a donor advised fund in a day, funded it with $10,000 in marketable securities, and was able to recommend out of that fund, grants to the organization she selected on the list of organizations we vetted in that area. So that's the mechanics of it. And it can happen relatively quickly. So I just want to go back to that. So you can start with a donor advised fund with as little as $10,000. Yes, that's the minimum donation. $10,000, as you said, in either securities or cash, cash, however, Mm -hmm. that they can actually create a way they can give this year and receive a tax deduction this year and give to a fund that will basically vet charities of their interest and am yes. I correct in that? Is that the right way? I might not be using the right lingo. You know what? We help you with the vetting. Um, I've had advisors call me with a client who does not even know how they really want to give. They know that they don't want distant cousins inheriting. They need to get an estate plan in place. And they want to be able to give to charity in Southeast Michigan, born and raised here grew a business here, whatever the reason they want to be impactful here. Um, Many of our donors want to create a permanent legacy here in their name in this region because this region is important to them. So yes, we work with you, the advisor. We work with your client. We help individuals maximize the tax benefit. So we'll work with you and talk with you about your clients and rely on you, of course, with respect to their financial investments, work with their CPA with regard to the tax consequences, their estate planning attorney. We're another professional advisor at the table to assist your client in accomplishing their charitable objectives consistent with their estate plan. You mentioned the term plan giving. So in the case of my the woman who came to me to create the donor advice fund, she's funding it this year in 2020 to get a tax deduction in 2020. And she's engaging in lifetime giving. Some of our donors come to us and they want to create not only a lifetime fund, but also plan for that fund or a different fund to receive assets on their passing. So planned giving incorporates 
testamentary planning too. So what happens on my death? What vehicles are available for me to provide for my individual beneficiaries, family members, but maybe the charities you currently support during your lifetime. And we can plan solely with your clients to provide only for charity on their passing. So that's testamentary planning. And there are so many vehicles available to accomplish their intentions, depending on what their families look like, what the needs are of other family members, what your client's objectives are. Now, you mentioned a deduction. Now, with the CARES Act this year and wanting to take that deduction in 2020, so could you touch on cash gifts and how that is a deduction um, specifically in the year 2020? Absolutely. And we did mention earlier, too, you mentioned the types of assets. So the Community Foundation has received real estate, intellectual property, um, a residence on the death of a married couple second to die without any other individual beneficiaries, um, marketable securities, your business and world, closely held business interests, and cash. So let's talk about cash. So when taxpayers who itemize make cash gifts to charities under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, individuals may deduct up to 60% of adjusted gross income arising out of that law. Okay, that changed the law. In 2020 only, as a result of the CARES Act, so the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act that was passed back in March of this year, the CARES Act raises that 60% deduction so that an individual who makes a cash gift to a public charity can receive a deduction up to 100% of their adjusted gross income. And unused portion can be carried forward five years. Now, what's interesting is, one, how many of your clients want to maximize their giving up to their income. But let me give you an illustration because it, it is meaningful. And it's here in 2020 because not only are individuals struggling with fluctuation in the stock market, but as you can imagine, charities, and there are many in our area that are suffering as a result of the coronavirus and individuals reducing their charitable giving. So the government decided, let's let's encourage charitable giving, let's develop strategies that help individuals and corporations give and encourage them to give in 2020. So this is only for this year. So if you had a client who had an income of $300,000 in 2019 and made from investments um, that you have, let's say they received cash dividends in the amount of um, $500,000 and they wanted to make a cash gift of $500,000, Okay, their deduction limit in 2019 would have been one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, 60 percent of their income in 2019. It was only their income was three hundred thousand dollars. So they could only deduct one hundred and eighty of that five hundred thousand dollar gift. Now, they can carry forward um, any unused portion of the deduction, but they would be limited in 2020. That same taxpayer, if that taxpayer made three hundred thousand dollars, could deduct three hundred of the five hundred thousand dollars. Um, and again, would carry forward the $200,000 unused exemption. But it allows those who are charitably inclined have cash available to maximize their giving in 2020. And that ends in 2020. I think to know, because I feel like there's so many people that want to give, um, you know, some people have been greatly affected by everything that is going on um, financially and others are doing fine. And they are thinking about how they can help those less fortunate and really, you know, maybe have been putting off that charitable giving and now is a great year to do it. So it is. And we can help direct you and your clients to gifts that apply. Like what is a gift to a public charity? Um, determine whether a gift to a donor advised fund 
qualifies. It does not. The gift has to go to a public charity, whether a gift to a private foundation likewise qualifies. Again, it does not for that 100% of AGI increased limitation for 2020, but you can give to the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, for example, and get that 100% deduction. So there are a lot of technicalities with it. It's a tax law, right? But we're here to help you, our advisors and and your clients strategize um, in 2020. Now, Laura, you mentioned the SECURE Act before. Would you um, be willing to kind of touch on how that has affected IRAs and RMD? as far as charitable giving? Yes, absolutely. So um, December of 2019 seems like it was years and years ago with all that's happened in 2020, but the SECURE Act, which is the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, went into law, was enacted on, on December 20th, 2019, but went into effect in 2020. So this preceded the CARES Act that we just talked about. But the SECURE Act did make some significant changes to the retirement laws. So for your clients who have some wealth in their retirement assets. Important to know that the age for IRA required minimum distribution is increased from 70 and a half to age 72. So that money can continue growing for a couple of years. Under the CARES Act that we talked about earlier for 2020 only, and again, this reflects the fluctuation in stock markets and the values your clients see in their IRA accounts, there are no mandatory distributions. So even if you're 72, you can let these sit for 2020, um, be, regardless of your age, because of the fluctuation in the stock market. So Congress is recognizing, let's not require minimum distributions this year. Charitable distributions. Secure Act did not affect that. So that is a tax-free transfer of up to one hundred thousand dollars from their IRA to charity, and again, tax-free. So directly from the IRA custodian to charity, and they do not have to pay the deferred taxes. They would if that money came out to them, Melissa, and then they made a gift. Right, and I don't know. I don't know that everybody is aware of this because I will say, with the CARES Act, we have called our clients who take RMDs, or just asking everybody, "Do you want to take your RMD?" Because under the the CARES Act for 2020, you're not required. And it did make me realize how many of these clients aren't using them necessarily. I mean, that's done our job well if they have other assets and they really don't need this yeah. yet. So the idea that, um, because really the RMD, the required minimum distribution is uh, the government's way of saying, we're going to tax you on this money. This has been growing tax deferred within an IRA and we need you to start paying taxes on this. So the idea that, and this is not just specific with the CARES Act, but that you can take a qualified charitable distribution. Clients, as they age, as you said, and they may have other income, assets generating income for them. So they're able to, they're required to take their RMD, right? So they can direct and it has to happen before the RMD comes out into their account. If they take control over it, they're taxed on it. Even if they decide after the fact, Melissa, I want to give to my alma mater or my church or the nonprofit in Gross Point or the community foundation. Once it comes into their possession, the tax is due on it. So it's really important that they know it has. they need to direct you. I want it to go from my custodian directly to a public charity. Um, and that is that qualified charitable distribution. So that's an important planning technique if you have clients charitably inclined. You'd also be aware too, Melissa, under the SECURE Act, that they've lost the stretch IRA, at least as we know it. So what we've all become comfortable with is naming children as beneficiaries of IRAs 
maybe not minor children, maybe trusts instead of children, but naming eventually what the, the concept is that children um, can stretch the IRA over their lifetime on the death of the plan participant and customarily spouse first, then children. Well, now with the SECURE Act, it imposes a 10-year period following the plan holder's death after which the IRA has to be paid to the designated beneficiary. There are exceptions. So if surviving spouse can continue to use the IRA as surviving spouse has, a disabled beneficiary is also an exception. But generally speaking, any other individual beneficiary has to take out the entire proceeds of that IRA within 10 years. And this has really caused a lot of estate planning attorneys and financial advisors like yourself to pause and ask their clients, does this accomplish what you want, especially those with a lot in IRA assets? Um, by stretching out, meaning prior to the SECURE Act, we're able to pass to a non-spouse beneficiary and they would be able to take essentially RMDs over their lifetime and pay taxes on it on those distributions. Now they have to basically pay the taxes on the IRA assets within 10 years. Right. Leaving their their children, beneficiaries, with a large tax burden. So maybe now we have to look at some more efficient ways to pass those assets. Right. And it's not only the acceleration of the tax. You're absolutely right. That's one of the issues. But the other is for your clients who may be concerned about a beneficiary who may be younger, like an 18-year-old kid receiving a child, a payout by age 28, that may not be ideal. They may be worried that the 18-year-old will get married, or maybe it's an older beneficiary who is married and your client's not fond of the spouse. So you may have a divorcing spouse who has the ability to get to that asset if it's paid out to the individual beneficiary within 10 years. And you also have spendthrift beneficiaries, um, beneficiaries who may be subject to claims of creditors. So what we've been talking about for charitably minded individuals and their advisors is how can your clients accomplish charitable planning if they're so inclined, or maybe they want to think about it now and provide stretch to their children. And so that is through a charitable remainder trust. That may be an ideal tool for your clients who are charitably inclined and want to stretch over the lifetime of a beneficiary. This tool allows your client to defer the income taxation because it's the, the funds are paid into the charitable remainder trust within 10 years. The charitable remainder trust isn't subject to income tax like other trusts or individual beneficiaries are. Once the trustee pays distributions out to the beneficiary, as your client determines, when he creates the trust, then the beneficiaries taxed on the distributions, much like they would be when they inherit an IRA and take a minimum distribution. So only when they are received are they taxed. So that's, that's a great option. And the other is your, your client can identify when the individual beneficiary receives distribution. So there can be a payment schedule like there was under the IRA before the government modified the rule. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So they can receive it over a set period of years. It gives your client a greater degree of certainty and control over those assets. This is a great lead in. So talking about the government changing the rules or <laughs> getting away from the SECURE Act here, let's talk about what's happening in 2025. So right now, where we talk about estate tax, like a, an exemption, if you will, 
We are currently at 11.58 million. Is that correct? Yes. I wish okay. I had that much in my estate to worry about, but yes, yes. You, so, Melissa, you, Melissa, can pass 11.58 million to your heirs without, they don't have to worry about paying any estate or gift taxes. I'm slightly under that. So I'm not quite worried about it yet. So, but the idea is I think a lot of people see that number and they think I don't need an estate plan. This is for extremely wealthy people. And I don't consider myself in that same category, but I have a lot of clients now who, you know, it at their younger ages of, in their thirties and forties who are well on their way. And even in their fifties to having an estate tax above 3 million. Uh, I mean, that would be the end goal. And obviously our job in financial planning is making sure that people don't outlive their estate. But I, I see that these people are not going to outlive their estate and that really their next phase after making sure they have enough to get through retirement is really um, passing it on most tax efficiently. So. What happens in 2025 to that amount? Good question. So in 2025, December 31 of 2025, that $11.58 million exemption, and that has adjusted over the years for inflation. Okay. And, and remember, for a married couple, it's $23 million or $23.16 million in 2020. That will go up next year and continue to increase for inflation until 2025. But it sunsets then. And that means starting in January 2026, the exemption will return to the $5 million amount adjusted for inflation. So you and your spouse, Melissa, would each have $5 million instead of the $11 million adjusted for inflation that you get now. So your clients who have a $5 million or together, a married couple, $10 million state, need to worry about planning. Um, but caution, we have, as you're well aware, a presidential election on the horizon. And if there's a change in administration, the candidate for the Democratic Party, his plan is to reduce the exemption to $3.5 million. So now your client, your couple that you're talking to who we were pretty certain by 2026, unless Congress acts before then, I'll talk about that in a minute, the exemption will return to $5 million or 10 for a married couple. Now, if there's a change in the president and the exemption is $3.5 million, now we're talking about a taxable estate of $7 million. So we really need to be mindful that the estate tax exemptions changed over the years. In fact, in 2000, it was as low as $675,000. Um, for an individual. Now, that's not likely to happen. But I will say from what I've read, because of the stimulus and the trillion or so dollars that's been given as a result of COVID, that regardless of who is in office, Congress may act even sooner to change the exemption as a way to increase revenue. And therefore, the sunset provision we talked about in 2025 may be long out the door if, if Congress acts. So your clients need to think about the longer term include life insurance, the proceeds from life insurance, unless it's in their an irrevocable trust, but their proceeds from life insurance, the value of their home, um, annuities, all of those assets are taxable within their estate. So they may get to that $5 million much sooner than, than they think. Right. And if we're doing it right as a financial advisor, that is the hope, right? To have a taxable estate, you know, the, it doesn't, it may seem far off for people, but over your lifetime, um, it is something that is attainable for many. And it's important to be able to, rather than donating it to the government, if you will, and hoping that it gets allocated, you know, uh, the, the idea here is to be charitable, but purposeful in your charity and really control, um, you know, 
lessen the tax burden, but control maybe where some of those assets are going. Uh, what about changes to capital gains rate? Is that something that you see as a possibility? And how can we help clients who maybe have a large um, account since it's grown so much over the last uh, decade or so with a sizable uh, capital gains situation? What can they do to kind of um, help with that? Good, Melissa. So I think that um, raises the question of whether it's appropriate now for your clients to think about lifetime charitable giving, or even reducing their estate and giving to family members now or waiting until death. So a potential change on the horizon, again, depending on the outcome of the presidential election, is that um, Biden's campaigning to eliminate the step up at death. So um, where we, your clients could hold on to their um, highly appreciated marketable securities and give them at death to children and get a full step up, that may go away. So stay tuned and watched, watch for the election to see if, if um, there is a change. But in addition, he's also campaigning on increasing the capital gains tax. So that has implications for clients who want to give. In fact, we had an individual donor who has a donor advice fund with us, her advisor called me and said his client wanted to make a gift of Apple stock into her donor advice fund. And I went back out of curiosity to look at what the value of that stock was back in 1980 when Apple went public and it was $22 a share. Well, today it's trading at $131 a share. That and is quite a capital gain, but a good problem to have. <laughs> problem to have. So she do donated a number of shares to her donor advice fund and got a full far fair market value deduction. So that's what's key about charitable giving during lifetime, especially if your clients are facing an income, an event, some liquidity event this year, or they are anticipating a significant um, income tax liability um, in 2020, a way to reduce it is to give now to, for example, a donor advised fund as this, as this donor did, and your client would receive the full fair market value deduction. So if your client owned that Apple stock in their portfolio, they get a deduction for the $131 at which it's trading today, and they would not have to the gain from their cost basis, they would not have to pay capital gains. Rather than selling it and having to pay 20% capital gains on, on the gain from basis to what it's currently worth today. Again, if on November 3rd, we have a new president and he increases the capital gains tax to 39.6%, depending on the income of, you know, income liability of your clients, that's pretty significant. So we're even doubling the 20% capital gains tax. So really important for your clients to talk with you, talk with their CPA about what their income needs are, you know, their future, their burn rate, and what makes sense given values now to do to reduce income tax liability. And if they're charitably inclined, they can pick up the phone and call me and we can talk about how we can accomplish their charitable planning with their tax and estate planning. That is a great resource to have. And of course, we manage our clients' accounts for tax efficiency and try and give them all their options when it comes to reducing and offsetting capital gains. But certainly, um, as again, that generation, older generation ages, and they realize that they're not going to burn through all their assets. And then it becomes going from the accumulation stage to the kind of unwinding the estate stage. And that is definitely an option that some people are going to need to look at and something that's good for everyone to think about now, even if they're not currently, if they're still in the accumulation stage, it's important to kind of figure out, you know, what your options are down the road. So I really appreciate you sharing that. 
So I do want to touch back on the community foundation and how you can help people. So if somebody is listening to this podcast, what is a good way to get in touch with the community foundation and find out more information? Okay. So yes, Melissa, please um, direct them to me and your clients can contact me at the community foundation, our website, if they want to get an idea of how we've led in our community and individuals who have given through us initiatives we sponsor The website is um, cfscm.org, cfscm.org, and um, they can contact me at 313-961-6675. That's my phone. Alternatively, they can email me at lbrownfield, B-R-O-W-N-F-I-E-L-D, at cfsem.org. Great. And I'm also going to put a link in the show notes to this podcast to get to your website. And um, on your website, it does give, uh, you know, an idea of different ways, different fun types that you have available. So not some things that we didn't even talk about on this podcast, but I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share with us some of the changes that have happened and some of the ways that people can reduce their taxable estate and really kind of direct their charitable giving. Um, I'm sure they find it extremely helpful, as did I, and it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, a pleasure talking with you, Melissa, and working with you and your clients. So I look forward to being here and your partner in philanthropy. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter, also found on our website.